trust you had a, a great week uh, worshiping Christ and just being faithful to the Lord in various ways and experiencing God's grace in manifold ways. What a joy to gather together again on the Lord's Day. Um, again, uh, just uh, uh, you know, through Facebook and through uh, just fellowship with a few people, heard about the great outreach at UC Irvine this past week through our uh, CBF ministry. Uh, my heart was really encouraged and challenged by all the pictures. I, I, you know, Facebook is a great technology for ministry, and seeing all those pictures of our members and our students reaching out and sharing the gospel and, uh, and sh- demonstrating the love of Christ was uh, truly inspiring to me. And I know there are many of you that are here for the first time from uh, college campuses in the area. I want you to know uh, we we might look a little stuffy, but we're not. We We might look a little older. Some of us are, some of us aren't. And I uh, just want you to know our hearts are wide open to you. We welcome you to our church. And if there's any way we can serve you and minister to you, it would be our joy to uh, uh, minister. And I know that um, you know, the college dorm food is not always the best, or you guys barely know how to cook for yourselves. So anytime this quarter you get hungry, you want some good home-cooked meal, uh, Mrs. Paul Chung is right there, uh, Michelle Chung. <laughs> I have her phone number, her, her, uh, their address, and they love to have visitors <laughs> all night long. So just crash anytime you want, and uh, they'll cook to order whatever their hearts would crave. And uh, we have a, it's a special Sunday in another, another way. We have a special celebrity guest <laughs> joining us uh, this, uh, this, this morning. Uh, I, was watching, I was reading Facebook, and... Mr. Sam Pio posted that he's going to be on the Conan O'Brien show. So if you haven't seen that clip, it's all over Facebook. I, I got a little tired of it after a few days. And man, Sam, you had your face like right up there. Like they zoomed up really close. And, uh, you know, he plugged uh, Frostbite's Italian Ice, did a real good job. And, and uh, it was very interesting. So Mr. Sam Pio is uh, here with us. And if you want to have any questions, You'll be signing autographs by the welcoming table, <laughs> everyone. And I saw you were there with some... I'm not going to mention that. <laughs> but as soon as I saw that hair, I knew who it was. So, well, enough of my dumb jokes. Let's uh, open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as I said last week, I don't know why, but for me, this is the most difficult passage for, in 2 Timothy. This is um, the passage I dreaded the most. I, I, I still can't wait to be done with it because it is a, a perplexing passage to say the least. Verses 3 through 7. Uh, and so much so that Paul ends this uh, section by, by telling Timothy something he's never done before in, in any of his epistles. He tells Timothy to think about what he just said. Timothy, don't just gloss over these words. Don't just, uh, you know, in one ear, out out the other. Timothy, I want you to come back to this portion of of Scripture and, and meditate and consider and think. And the Lord will make it clear to you. The Lord will give you insight considering concerning what I just wrote to you. Because at first reading, Timothy, it might be difficult to really uh, understand what I'm writing to you here. And um, I'm thankful for that because it is uh, somewhat of a challenging text to really interpret 
the temptation is just to make it into a, you know, neatly packaged messages. Right? You know, I said last week, don't be a wimp, don't be a coward, be a good soldier, be brave and courageous and die for Christ, and be a good athlete. You know, don't, you know, it's, it's be self-controlled and sacrifice and deny yourself. Don't eat that muffin. Right? Don't eat that frappuccino. That's gonna have you gain weight and lose the crown. Be a good athlete, and then you know, be a good farmer. Like farmers, their work is never done. I've never worked as a farmer, but that's what I hear. They wake up early and stay up late, and they work hard. So be a good farmer. Temptation is just to um, kind of package these sermons in that way. But really, if you take an honest look at what is being said here, that is not what Paul is saying at all. Um, what helps us, and the first thing anytime we're somewhat perplexed by a portion of scripture, is to go to its context, the literary context and historical context. There you will find many helpful clues on how to interpret a particular verse or passage. So we go to uh, the first word in chapter 2, which is you. Second person singular. So Paul is not talking to the church at Ephesus. He's not telling Timothy, Timothy, you're going to be entrusting right doctrine, right life to faithful men, reliable men, trustworthy men. Tell them these things. That's not what Paul is saying. He's telling Timothy. He's speaking directly to Timothy. And the second word is Greek word, un, therefore, which connects this portion of Scripture to the previous portion of Scripture, the latter part of chapter 1. And chapter latter part of chapter 1 is talking about these um, defectors, these leaders who are deserting Christ. And as I said last week, that can be really a the running theme and maybe the purpose of Paul writing this epistle. But what was happening was the persecution of the church was at its height. There was growing and intense persecution of those who are following the Lord Jesus Christ. And and when that happens, of course, um, the believers are, are te- tempted to cower, fear, to be anxious, and to even fall away or forsake Christ. But what was the most um, unnerving, the most difficult to accept was men who were leaders, who were known to Timothy and known to the church, were deserting Christ and deserting the church. And he names them. Uh, in 115, Phygelus and Hermogenes, they turned away from Paul. In um, 2.15 through 19, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they were deserting Christ in a different way, spiritually but not geographically. They were still part of the church. They were still associated with Christians. But theologically, doctrinally, they were deserting Christ, upsetting the faith of many by saying that the resurrection had already taken place. And then they were... Someone like Demas, just out and out rebellion because he loved the world. He forsook Christ, deserted Christ. So here is um, the church, and we look back, and we have 2,000 years of church history through which we look at the church. And you know, it's easier to have confidence in the church or history after the fact. But put yourself in the first century, and you're Timothy in a small church, and you don't feel so confident. You don't feel so strong. There is persecution from without, and there is Um, heresy or false teaching from within and key trusted leaders are abandoning Christ and Timothy 
He is not Paul. I mean, he wants to be like Paul. He desires, that's his prayer. But Timothy, by God's design, his DNA, his personality makeup, is kind of a timid guy. He's a weak, soft, tender-hearted, uh, gentle young man who's kind of in over his head doing ministry to older, older people in the church. So he is really crowded on all sides. And, and that's the context in which Paul tells Timothy, you therefore, and a lot of these defectors, deserters, the perse- persecution that's going on, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Passive imperative. Not be a man, be strong, but receive grace from Christ. There is strength that will, that's there every day. Future grace awaiting you. And receive that strength and be empowered by it. And he talks about future leaders. And then he launches into soldier, athlete, and farmer. And so in light of that context, our conclusion was Paul is talking to Timothy. He's talking to Timothy using these illustrations, these analogies, metaphors, to directly address Timothy where he is at. And the first um, metaphor Paul used is a soldier, a sufferer as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He had used this uh, term, sun kako patheo, together, evil, suffer, in chapter 1, verse 8. Suffer with us for the gospel. That's for all Christians. But here in chapter 2, it's a particular calling. Suffer as a coloss, as a subjective, beautiful, good, noble, loyal soldier of Christ. As a soldier of Christ called by God, share in your suffering. So there is a distinction. Suffering called upon all Christians in verse 8 of chapter 1, and suffering called upon here to soldier, the soldier in, in chapter 2. And the particular kind of suffering is to deny your freedom. Uh, and the illustration uses as a soldier. No soldier uh, in active duty um, um, entangles himself in civilian pursuits. Uh, his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And uh, there are many, you know, proposed interpretations of what these civilian pursuits are. You know, it could be all these very hobbies or marriage or, I don't know, like clothing, whatever, I don't know, you know, right? Pursuits, civilian pursuits. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul has a singular authorial meaning in this text. And it wasn't just pursuits. It was civilian, literally business. Um, when, when someone becomes a soldier, you devote yourself to one career, one profession. Once you're in the military, he leaves his old profession behind. Albert Barnes said this in his commentary. This is always a condition of being a soldier. He gives up his own business during the time for which he's enlisted and devotes himself singularly to the service of his country. The farmer leaves his plow, the mechanic his shop, the merchant his store, student his books, the lawyer his brief. They leave all these behind to serve their country as a soldier. Uh, and that's what Paul is talking about here. There was a popular movie years ago. Uh, there was this um, there was a captain of this regiment or uh, platooner, a few guys, I don't know. And he was a great soul, great leader. I mean, brave, warrior, courageous, led his men decisively, made, made real-time decisions where he protected his men, loyal to his men, 
and um, won many battles. And all the soldiers, they wanted to know, what, 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 what did you do before the war? What was your job? Because you're such a great leader. You're such a great soldier, warrior. And he didn't want to tell them. And they're like guessing. They're betting. It's all I don't know, it's a movie. It's not real. But they're guessing. At the, and towards the end, they, 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 he tells them that he was an English school teacher. He, he taught English. He taught literature. He, he taught poetry. And that was his civilian job. But now that he's enlisted he's in, the, in the armed forces, he's not quoting poetry anymore. Right? He's, uh, he's like Rambo. He's killing people left and right. He leaves his old profession behind. Right? Um, men whose age he would be teaching, now he is on the opposing side and uh, engaged in warfare. So that's what Paul is saying here. And he's not telling Timothy. So you know, he's not forbidding. He's not commanding. He's just making a, a statement of fact. And uh, I, I think he's doing this because um, you know, that's, the, that's Paul's philosophy of ministry. Uh, he wasn't this harsh leader. He wasn't this strong, dictatorial, raise his voice, scream at people, and force them against their consciences and their heart to do what he, he or God wanted them to do. He was a tender shepherd. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2, 6-8, through 8, As an apostle, I could have made demands upon you. I could have ordered you around because I am an apostle. I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So the risen Lord, He commissioned me. I have credentials. I, I perform miracles to validate my credentials as an apostle of Christ. So I could have come and barked out orders to you. But I didn't. Instead, verse 7 we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So Paul was not this you know, he, you know, strong leader. And when, he, when he ministered to his people, he was like a nursing mom, a newborn baby. Right? So tender, gentle, heartfelt care. Uh, Paul said later on in chapter 5.14 of 1 Thessalonians, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So he related to different people differently. So if there were people who were unruly, who were, who were blaspheming, spreading false doctrine, or spreading false lives, or, or compromising morality, Paul confronted them, and he even said, should I bring a whip when I come and talk with you? If you think you have power, I will show you power, should I come to you with truth or should I come to you with a whip? He wasn't afraid of, of, of confrontation, of speaking the truth and calling out people if they were abrasive, unruly, uh, rebellious and defiant towards Christ. But if the person was weak, faint-hearted, struggling, Paul would just switch gears immediately and he'd be patient and tender and, and, and gentle in relating to people who were weak. And so here Paul is coming to this Timothy who is timid, who is young, in over his head, and people around him are deserting him. And Paul could be, what are you complaining about? You know, I'm in prison. I'm in a dungeon. I'm chained to a wall. I'm going to die. You know, don't be a wimp. Be a soldier. Don't be a... You that's what I would have done, right? I would have gotten angry. Right? You, you got food, right? You have warm clothes. I'm cold here. 
like yeah, you know, I would I would I would be very very maybe upset or frustrated. But Paul, he's gentle, he's humble, he's caring. So he's looking out for Timothy's heart. So instead of commanding him these things, because it is an area of freedom, he just says, Timothy. And he just uses, employs these analogies. Like look at a soldier. No soldier is in the army and he has another job on the side. He devotes himself. He has an undivided heart so that he might please his commanding officer. And then he uses the athlete and how you must run according to the rules. And that's just the way it is, Timothy. Because if you break the rules, you don't, you don't, you can't win. You, you don't, you're Stephanos. The crown is taken away from you. And then a farmer. All farmers work hard, and those who work hard, the lazy ones, they get the scraps. They get the leftovers, right? But the, the diligent ones, they're the ones who get the first share of the first harvest. Best of the crop, they get a share. And Timothy, think over what I just wrote. Think about it. So he wants Timothy to consider because he wants to um, shepherd Timothy's heart instead of pounding on him with imperative commands. He shepherds him with knowledge. And I think we do this as parents to our children. Right? We do this as leaders to those who are under, under us. And there's much to be learned just in like how Paul deals with Timothy. His uh, tender, his wise way of shepherding Timothy's heart. So here we are. Last week was a soldier. This week is an athlete. And, um, you know, Paul, he uses a lot of uh, athletic uh, illustrations, imagery in his epistles. It's all over the place, whether wrestling, boxing, or, um, you know, running a race. And so when, when Bob and I, or the pastors, our leaders here, use sports illustrations, it's actually biblical. <laughs> right? It's actually, like, scripturally supported. And we're compelled by the scriptures to use. And so last week, Bob, during communion, gave an awesome illustration about the offensive linemen, right? The linemen in, in, in football. And when he said that, all the guys, we were like right there. We understood. Our hearts were moved. The setup ministry, they're like the offensive linemen. And I'm, you know, Bob and I were the QB, and they, they, they protect us from our blindside tackle, right? Tim Tebow yesterday got, got a concussion. Right, because he was tackled and he was vomiting on the way out, and so the setup ministry, there are linemen, and all the guys like, yeah, I get it, Bob. And then all the women were like, what is he talking about? Like, like just glazed look, have no idea what's going on. Well, it is scriptural for us to use sports illustrations, and they are so effective. So we just humbly encourage the women of our church, at least the top three sports. All right, football, basketball, and baseball, you need to learn <laughs> right, the basic rules and the play of these sports. I, actually, one of my ideas was um, our next women's retreat that's, that's you know, in May. We're going to have a special workshop <laughs> on sports. So for the guys, we'll have a special workshop on like personal hygiene. So, <laughs> right, that's, right, we both need that. So for the guys, it's like you know, all that other stuff. For the, for the women, I think we'll have a workshop on sports, like, like history of Lakers basketball, <laughs> right? the starting rotation of you know, Lakers and L.A. Dodgers and Angels and football, at least football, like how, how it all works. 
so that when we use these illustrations, like, we'll all get it. We'll all rejoice. We'll all be impacted and challenged together. So for the sake of the preaching ministry, let's do it. It'll make our job so much easier. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, I could just, you know, I could just watch sports and tell my wife, oh, I'm preparing for my sermon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing ministry right now. I've got to go to this game. So anyways. So, but... Th- Half, half joking, but half serious, seriously. Like, and it's, it's, sports are good. Um, so yesterday, the Oregon Ducks, sorry, Cal students. Uh, man, you guys got clobbered yesterday by University of Oregon. I was uh, feeling especially for Don. Don was saying in his Facebook how he had a rough week, and he was looking forward to the game, resting up on Saturday. And I said, wow, you know, <laughs> what an awful way to rest after a long week. And uh, the... Oregon, University of Oregon's quarterback, I have his name here, Jeremiah Masoli. Man, incredible game. 21 out of 25. I saw maybe a quarter and a half, and that guy was amazing. There you are, Don. You're getting all red. Man, that guy was just, he, he was unstoppable yesterday. He was just making passes left and right. And uh, University of Oregon has a, tra- you know, a real like, um, track record of like, uh, esteemed athletes. Nike actually originated from there. Uh, Bill Barman was the coach of track and field at the University of Oregon. And Phil Knight was one of his uh, athletes, runners. And together they formed Nike and Eugene, Oregon, and uh, track, track City, USA. And um, probably one of the most famous ath- athletes to come out of University of Oregon is uh, Steve Prefontaine. How many of you guys have heard of this guy? Wow, more than I expected. More than I expected. Um, this guy was amazing. He was uh, incredible. He has been described as possibly the best middle long distance runner in the history of the United States. He owned every American running record from 2,000 meters to 10,000 meters, two miles, six miles. He owned all the records. All the records. Uh, he had seven of them in 1975. A feat never accomplished before or since. Before or since. He was uh, favored to win the 5,000-meter run at the 76 Olympics, but he died in a car accident in 75. He was, uh, you know, what what people appreciate about appreciate about him was not just his physical gifts, but his heart, his resolve, his um, just internal dedication to the sport. He said, "To give anything less than your best." is to sacrifice the gift. A, a lot of people run to see who is the fastest. I run to see who has the most guts, who can punish himself into exhausting pace, and then at the end, punish himself even more. Somebody may beat me, he said, but they're going to have to bleed for it. In 1972, at the Munich Olympics, he competed in the 5,000-meter race as a 21-year-old. He was three years younger than any other runner in the field. With a mile to go, he had the lead. With 600 meters left to go, someone overtook him. Last turn, coming down the stretch, 300 meters left, he was now trailing one man, and he had a decision, and he knew this. I can just coast the rest of the way and get a silver medal. 21 years old, silver medal, nothing to be ashamed of. Or I can go for it all. I can go all out and go for the gold 
and it might mean I might, I might totally burn out and, and not even finish. But do I go for the gold or settle for a silver? He made that decision. He gave it all. He said, I didn't come to uh, win the silver. I came to win the gold. And he gave it all, and he finished fourth place. He didn't medal at all. But he was proud of it. And that's why he ran, to win, not just to medal. Uh, you look at a heart like that, and anyone who approaches whatever their work is in life, whatever their calling is, whatever their stewardship, whether it's running, whether it's parenting, whether it's uh, as a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor or accountant, whatever it is, and to run the Christian race in that way is truly uh, admirable. And that was the Apostle Paul's heart. Um, Apostle Paul, by the grace of God, didn't run to be second, run the Christian life to be second. He didn't hold anything back. That's the heart he had, and that's the heart he calls us to have. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26, I'll just read, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way as you may obtain it. Run in such a way as you may obtain it. Go all out. Give yourself wholeheartedly to win the prize. But throughout the scriptures, throughout his epistles, Paul uses uh, athletic imagery to share his heart concerning the spiritual walk, the spiritual race. He talked about Philippians 3, 12-14, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. That word pictures of a race, of a runner at the end of the race, straining forward to win. At the last possible moment, to beat his competitors, stretching forth. That's the word picture there. At the end of his life, the metaphor he used is one of, a, of an athlete. Uh, we'll study this in a few months to come. Chapter 4, verse 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. So here in our passage, Paul goes to one of his favorite metaphors of an athlete. Look at verse two with, verse uh, 5 with me. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, unless he competes. Athleo, an athlete who competes. Means someone who contends, wrestles, struggles. The idea is that of a struggle that requires great determination to win. Someone who is competing, someone who is striving, is not crowned, Stephanos. There are two words for crown in the Greek. It's diadem and Stephanos. Diadem is the royal kingly crown. It's inherited. It's not earned. The Stephanos is that wreath, right, with ivy leaves, uh, with, with oak and flowers intertwined that was given to the victor of the games. That's, that's not inherited. That's earned by your performance on the field. And Paul is saying here, 
if you violate namas, the rules, antinomian, anti-law, namas is law, if you go against the rules, if you violate the rules of the sport, uh, you don't win the crown. Now, during, the, during Paul's uh, life, Paul's, when Paul was writing this, the most popular game was the Olympic Games held in Olympia, Greece. But the Isthmian Games held uh, every two, every four years, and then uh, Olympic Games every four years. So every two years, every Isthmian Games and then Olympic Games. The Isthmian Games were held closer to where Paul and Timothy were doing ministry, uh, near Corinth and Ephesus. So it is more likely that he was referring to the Isthmian Games and not the Olympic Games. Uh, it's important for this one point that I'll mention later on. But the Greek games, uh, there was a huge affair. It was religion and athletics uh, on steroids merged together. Uh, it was held in honor of the Greek god Poseidon, the Isthmian games, held every uh, two years during the spring. And athletes from all over Greece would come to compete and participate in these games. And to win was a tremendous honor, not just for you, but for your ho- hometown and for your region. So they would give you like 5,000 drachmae, a lot of money. They would give you a wreath, a crown. And they would put your name in the public hall, uh, uh, give you a plaque. And they would take you to your hometown and have a parade. And before all your you know, hometown citizens, you would get a parade in your honor. And they would be cheering you because you brought honor to this city, to this hometown. Um, they would compete in foot races, wrestling, boxing, throwing the discus, javelin, long jump, chariot racing, and poetry reading and singing. I don't know. That's what the encyclopedia said. I, I gotta, say, I gotta believe it's true. It's kind of like our cornerstone talent contest. They had everything going on, and even poetry reading and even singing. Um, these athletes dedicated themselves to win. Devoted their lives, rigorous training, strict regimen, and self-control. But understand that this text is not calling Timothy or calling us to be, um, you know, to work hard, to dedicate our lives, to be self-controlled. You know, don't go on the seafood diet, which is you see food and you eat it. That's not, you know, that's not what uh, Paul is saying here, be an athlete. The, the point, that point is made in 1 Corinthians 9. The point here is, doesn't matter how well you perform. doesn't matter how gifted you are. doesn't matter what kind of natural, like, like what a physical specimen you are, or how you performed that day. You could have performed, been the, had the most commitment in your training, if you violated the rules, you're disqualified. You're a dokimas, right? You will have your crown taken away. You're not. You won't receive the victor's crown, no matter the results. We we are well familiar with um, athletes of our day who had to give up their medals, give up their championships, and were publicly shamed because they violated the rules. I mean, these almost are household names like Ben Johnson, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, Marion Jones, Jose Canseco, and to all the Dodger fans out there, Manny Ramirez, right? 
he didn't know he said. He had no idea, but um, he was suspended for many games. Right. They were just, these men in our day, they violated the rules during training. They were disqualified. Marion Jones won five medals. She had to forfeit all the medals and all the prizes that came with the medals because of her, her steroid use. Well, this didn't just start in the 70s or 80s. This started in the beginning of time. This was rampant in Paul's day as well. These athletes violating the rules. Um, in the in Isthmian Games, the, the athletes would gather in the underground cave called Palamum. And they would gather together and they would make an oath. They would vow that they have not violated the rules um, of the games. They had, you had to be of Greek birth. You had to have trained for 10 months. And you had to have committed yourself to uh, a specific kind of regimen of training, consecrated training. And... Uh, they all vow before everyone gathered and to, to, to each other and to 12 judges that they were faithful to these rules. Um, these judges kept guard over the strict observance of all these regulations. Uh, and if anyone violated the rules of the games, the laws of the games, the competitors were punished by forfeiture of the prizes or fines by money and definitely... Uh, taking away of any uh, crowns that they had received. Right. So that's the point here. It's not about trying hard or sacrificing yourself. It's about doesn't matter how well you do. If you, don't, if you violate the rules, it's all for nothing. Can you imagine that? You devote your life, I mean, just literally years of sacrificing your energy, your time, relationships, all for this achievement. And it's not, um, you get like partial credit. It's like school, right? You get a C, you get at least a right, grade, or you get a B, you get partial credit. You violate the, law, the rules, you get nothing. It's all for naught, right? There's no, no benefit whatsoever. In fact, you are shamed. You're, you're humiliated uh, by, your, by your community. Um, that's what Paul is saying here. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. And indirectly, Paul is saying to us. Now, we need to uh, do some careful study here. And that's why Paul put verse 7. Think about it, right? Because we have to think about this. Each sport has its own unique rules, right? Whatever sport it is. Each sport has its own unique rules. So what are the rules for the Christian life? And ministry, right? What are the rules for the Christian life and ministry? I think, in a broad, general sense, it's pretty clear to us the rules that govern our Christian life and Christian ministry is the Word of God, right? The Scripture, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, are given to us as a rule and guide on how we are to conduct ourselves as believers, as followers of Christ and as ministers of Christ, as spiritual servants in the church. But wait, let's think about this a little more. I don't know about you, but when I made that connection, I wasn't encouraged by it. 
I was uh, disheartened by it uh, because one violation, you're disqualified. Right? You can't say, you know, the Marion Jones, I think she failed one test. All her medals were taken away. Right? You can't just like gloss over it, oh, give me another chance. or No, all, just, soldiers is absolute. No soldier, right? gets entangled in civilian business. All athletes, it's absolute. If you're an athlete, you compete, and you violate a single rule, you're disqualified. And so if the Bible is our rule and guide, and a single violation means we're not crowned, then I don't know about you, but I'm without hope. Because, uh, you know, I, I'm going to test positive for spiritual steroids. <laughs> I'm going to test positive for violating every rule, every law, every guideline given in the scriptures. No chance whatsoever. I have to write down, well, I'm Barry Bonds, right? I'm Marion Jones. I'm, I'm Manny, right? I am, I am guilty as charged. And it's not even... Um, we were running a good race, and then, oh, I, you know, a momentary lapse of wisdom and character. You know, I'm a good guy, I'm a good pastor, good Christian, but, you know, I just had a rough day, and I made a mistake, and can you kind of overlook that? And that's not what happened. The gun went off, and then I, <laughs> I broke the law. Even during training, I broke the law. Even before I set foot in the stadium, I violated every single commandment, command given the scriptures. All right, because you're guilty of breaking one, book of James says, you're guilty of breaking all of them. Right. Uh, that's a, a shocking reality. Shocking reality. Uh, so if we see the Bible as our rule and guide, that means uh, we have no hope. Right. If it is about obeying the, the rules, obeying the namas, obeying the laws, if we seek to run the race of the Christian life by obeying the rules, it is impossible. We're guilty of uh, breaking all of them. But I think this is why Paul began this section with chapter 2, verse 1. Timothy, make sure your strength is in God's grace. That's in Christ Jesus. And then he, like a bookends, he sandwiches it in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. It's intentional. He wants to sandwich this passage with grace and the gospel for which he is suffering. Because the gospel tells us that if we acknowledge our helplessness, acknowledge our sinfulness, our evil, that we are disqualified, we've broken every law, and we trust in Jesus Christ and hope in him, and he is our champion. He is the one who is victorious. And it's by faith we benefit from his victory. Not by our achievements, but by his singular achievement on the cross. Then we'll fulfill every rule, every law. We fulfill the whole law of the scriptures. I believe that's what Paul is saying. I believe what he's talking about is not external performance. 
but internal reliance upon Christ. If we rely on our own strength and run this Christian race on our own power, then the rules are, you, have, you can't break any law, and you're disqualified. But if we rely on Christ, then we fulfill every law. We don't violate a single law. We fulfilled every command, and we receive the Stephanos, the victor's crown. But at the end, what do we do with that crown? We cast it at the feet of Christ. Because we know we didn't win this crown by our own strength, by our own determination and sacrifice. We won this crown because he won it for us. He strengthened us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul said, I work harder than all, but not I, but the grace of God who strengthens me. Christ did it all. So we cast down our Stephanos at the feet of Christ because our glory belongs to him. He gets all the boast, all the honor and glory for our achievements in our Christian race. But that's the dividing point here. Self-reliance or reliance on Christ to run this Christian race, our race as Christians and race as ministers of Christ. Uh, yeah, because if you rely on yourself, even at one point, it's all in vain. It's absolutely nothing. There is zero achievement accomplished if we rely on ourselves. John 15:5 Abide in me apart from me you can do nothing You can do nothing It is a really a determinative decision that we make whether to walk by faith or to walk by the flesh Run this race on our own strength and the rules according to our our strength which is unique You say I'm going to run by my own strength you trip up once, you're disqualified. Or I'm going to run by faith. You run by faith, then Christ has done it. He has finished. You claim his victory. His victory is ours by grace. This is a determinative choice. Self-reliance or Christ-reliance. John Piper said this, pride or self-exaltation or self-reliance is the one virus that causes all the moral diseases of the world. This has been the case ever since Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they wanted to be God instead of relying on God. Instead of trusting God. Depending on God. And it will be true until the final outburst of human pride is crushed at the battle of Armageddon. There is only one basic moral issue. How to overcome the relentless urge of the human heart to assert itself against the authority and grace of of God. So that's the decision. Right? Is it by works or is it by faith? And God's concern is what's motivating us, what's compelling us, what's driving us. I mean, to me, that that inspires me, that gives me hope, that frees me. All the commandments in the scriptures, even the Ten Commandments given in Exodus 19, the lawyer asked Jesus, what is the most important command? And Jesus gave the one that's not in the list. At least on that list in Exodus 19. The most important command is, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not, you shall have no other gods before me. There are two commands more important than that. Why? Because you can fulfill the Ten Commandments without loving God. Just, just like the Pharisees. You can not take the Lord's name in vain. 
Right? You can have no other gods. You can have this outward religious piety. You can keep the Sabbath. You can not commit adultery, not steal, not lie, not covet. You can do all, all these things before men without love for God. It can be motivated by ego, pride, self-righteousness, jealousy, all these, all these evil, corrupt, sinful things. It can drive you to obey God externally and think that you're running this race well when in actuality, at the end, there's no Stephanos. There is shame. Because you violated the rules by disobeying the first two commandments. That's why, again, um, 1 Corinthians 13, if, if we do all these things, you know, if we have knowledge, if we have phantom mysteries, if we can speak in all kinds of languages and tongues, if we become martyrs and give our bodies to the flames, but if it's not motivated by love for one another or love for Christ, we are nothing. If I'm speaking here not out of love for Christ and love for you, I'm a clanging gong. I'm a restless symbol. I'm making noise to God. If I live such a life where I become a martyr for Christ, but if it's not motivated by love for God and faith in Him, then I die for nothing. If I think I die for Christ and at the end I'm God's going to be crowning me with a Stephanos because I gave my life for him, they'll say, James, you did it for yourself. You did it for pride. You don't get anything from me. Right? Paul said, I gain nothing. That's why Paul said, 1 Corinthians 4, do not judge me, do not judge yourselves, do not judge anyone. Wait to the appointed time. At that time, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, when the Lord comes, He will bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motivations, the compulsions, the, the intentions, the, mo- the, the purposes of the heart. And at that time, you know what Paul said? Each one of us will receive praise from God. Each one of us. right? Because as believers, ultimately our faith is in Christ, not in ourselves. And so he will say, this is my son whom I am well pleased. You've always done what is right. You've always done what was righteous. You've always sought to do my will. You're restless in obeying me. You fulfilled my every command because you relied not on yourself, but you relied and trusted in my son. Those are the rules for the Christian race. It's uh, tremendously like counterintuitive, counterculture, counter our legalistic hearts. It's completely radical. It, it, it destroys grounds for boasting. It destroys um, pride and self-righteousness because all their ground is sinking sand. The only thing we stand upon is Jesus Christ, the rock. That is what Paul is saying. And if you do this, you run according to the rules, which is trusting in Christ. You began with faith. The righteous shall live by faith, first to last. You began by faith, and you continue by faith. You continue this race by faith. You'll receive a Stephanos, this wreath, this crown, which you will cast at the feet of Christ. Revelation 2, all to his glory. Uh, three final thoughts to kind of um, focus our our time and close our time together. 
you know, my fear ending to this sermon right here is uh, this afternoon you're going to have lunch with your friends and maybe talk about verse 5 and say, how did James get to there from here? Right? How did he... I don't understand. No athlete will not be crowned unless he according to the rules. How did he go from there to the gospel? Did he do some hermeneutical gymnastics uh, and kind of isogeted some truths or thoughts to kind of get there? And that's my fear. Um, if that's in your heart, maybe now or in a few hours, just ask yourself, consider this simple truth. If a single violation of the rules of any sport disqualifies an athlete, and the Bible and its commands are the rules for all Christians, where do, where do I stand? What hope do I have? Right? If a single violation disqualifies me as an athlete, then a single violation disqualifies me in, in the race of the Christian life. Where do I stand? Ask that question and you would say, then I have no hope. I, I'm disqualified. I have to sit down. I can't run this race. I can't participate. They're not even clocking me anymore. right? They're, they're not even like counting me as a runner because I'm, they know I'm disqualified. So that helps us to see the need for faith. That we run this race not obeying the rules on our own strength, but relying on Christ. Personalize it that way. It has helped me to understand this passage and make the connections. I hope that it will for you as well. Secondly, uh, the temptation is for then for us to examine our own hearts. What am I motivated by? Why am I running this Christian race? Do I love God enough? And how much is enough? You know, do I love the church enough or Christians enough? How much is enough? That's not what. Um, you know, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself. It's talking about faith in Christ, not about motivation, not about compulsion, intention. The call is not for us to examine ourselves. The call for us in our motivations, call for us is to believe, to trust, to depend. Um, that is the call. So when you have that question, am I, what's, what, what's motivating me? You know, forget about yourself. Right? Don't think about your motivations. Think of Christ and think of trusting Him. Think of uh, relying and hoping in Him alone. And then finally, um, look for this fruit in your life as you rely upon the finished work of Christ. I believe you experience freedom in your Christian life. Freedom like you've never experienced before. You experience freedom in Christian ministry. Right? If the race was up to us, you're always afraid of, what if, you know, right? I think the athletes, these Olympic athletes, they, they talk about that. They can't eat any, anything. Right? They might take a granola bar and has a weird like ingredient that will cause their test to come positive. They can't go to like, you know, seafood buffet and eat whatever they want because they don't know what these Asians put in their food. So they got to you know, eat almost like MREs alone because they're always afraid. Right? And a lot of Christians live that way. It's all up to me, and I violate one command, and I'm disqualified. So when they're living the Christian life, there's great fear and anxiety. When they minister, and that was true for me in uh, preaching, I'm always afraid of, of you know, failure, afraid of 
making a mistake or sinning or violating a command that I didn't really, really know was there, and I'm disqualified. And a lot of Christians live under that burden, the constraining slavery of running this race on their own strength. Now, you take that and you mortify that by the gospel, by the grace of God, and say, my reliance is not on myself, but on Christ, who the Bible says has finished the work. The telestai, he has completed it. And my job, my responsibility is just trust Christ, believe in Christ, and that gospel empowers me to love God and love others. It, it, will, it liberates you. It liberates you from legalism where the, you know, the Pharisees are meticulous about tithing, right? tithing their income, tithing their like, uh, ingredients in their kitchen, mint and cumin, right? I mean, there was, that's how meticulous they were, but they neglected mercy, justice, and faithfulness. They were committing respectable sins left and right, condemning people, being judgmental, being hypocrites, right? Being sinful and all the gossiping, slandering, but they, they were righteous because they obeyed these meticulous laws, external laws. Well, you'll experience the opposite, where you'll fulfill these rules and regulations by the grace of God, but you'll feel freedom to truly love God and truly love people. Not to manipulate people, not to use them for your own ends, but truly love them because you're not competing against them. Their victory is not a source of your condemnation. Their successes is not a reminder of your failures. Right? Their achievements is not a constant like voice in your head, what's wrong with you? No, because you're liberated by the gospel, Christ has finished the race, and you are victorious in Christ by trusting in Him, you can truly love people and see evidence of grace in their lives and really rejoice for them and with them and love them as Christians, as you live the Christian life, and as you do ministry. I would, I would call you. See how before you even began, began the race, you have violated God's word. You have not honored his word as you ought. You have sinned against, I have sinned against him. Only hope we have is Jesus Christ. I exhort you to trust in him, not just for your salvation, but for your Christian life and for your ministry. And then look for these, this fruit of freedom. I, I, they, it will follow. You will see it. Freedom for your Christian life and freedom for ministry. Father, we thank you and praise you for the wisdom of the scriptures. We thank you that you are our champion. You are the athlete who for the joy set before him and you are the cross. You lived the perfect life, provided the perfect sacrifice that before a perfectly holy God, you might grant to us the forgiveness of all our sins and the imputation, the credit of, of your complete righteousness so that as we stand before the Father, he crowns us uh, with these crowns that we are utterly un un unworthy of. Therefore, we lay them at your feet and we worship and bless your name for your love toward us, your mercy and grace to us and to our souls. So Lord, set free by the gospel, by this incredible, amazing truth. Let us uh, uh, run this race, be athletes, uh, and run with joy. Run with uh, freedom, run with uh, so our hearts lifted uh, 
and minister with our hearts lifted uh, because uh, we are daily being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ and you are waiting for us at the end of our lives. Bless your name. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.